it just kept getting closer and closer and it didn't show any um, sign of steering in any other direction and these <laughs> boats are massive and we're so small. Yeah, they just didn't show any signs of leaving so we decided, all right, let's just power forward and hope that they pass behind us. the podcast for introverts, extroverts, and everyone in between. I'm your host, Chelsea Heaney, and my guests today are the duo behind Passage Adventures. In 2018, they took their kayaks and traveled 2,042 kilometers from Alaska to Vancouver Island, and they did the entire thing single-use plastic free. In 2020, they released a documentary of their journey called Changing Tides. Please welcome to the show the wonderful Lucy Graham and Mattel Gordon. Hello, thanks for having us, Chelsea. I'm so excited to to have you. I I wanted to ask, how do you two know each other? Um, We met at the Sustainability Club a few years back, probably in 2014 at James Cook University. Mm -hmm. So the club had just started out and um, we were going there for one of the weekly get-togethers. And um, yeah, I guess I just saw Lucy across the room. I liked her tattoo and I went and said hi. And <laughs> we were both wearing red cardigans. Yeah, that, that was the <laughs> match made in heaven. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and then, yeah, we, um, we, we helped run the Sustainability Club for a number of years together and started doing adventures together and that kind of thing. So yeah, yeah. university. That's where it all started. <laughs> so obviously you both have quite a big interest in sustainability and environment and the outdoors. For each of you, where where did that sort of interest start? I mean, for me, so I grew up in Lucy. <laughs> I grew up in the, um, you know, in the wet tropics next to the reef up here in Cairns. And I guess um, when you grow up, you know, I grew up on a farm off the grid, um, you know, immersed in nature. So I, when you grow up loving nature and being around nature all the time, inevitably you take an interest in that nature existing into the future. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I think it's pretty same thing. I was privileged to be able to go camping with my family and explore the outdoors and live in a number of places around Australia that were on the coast. Um, so I've always been a bit of a water baby and really enjoyed being out on the water. So um, same thing, just wanted to, to you know, study nature and also learn how to protect it. So um, have you both been kayaking for a long time as well? Well, I mean, now, obviously, <laughs> I've been kayaking for thousands of kilometres. Still wouldn't call myself a kayaker, though. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. I don't think either of us identify necessarily as kayakers, per se. We, you know, um, I am, was studied outdoor education when I, was, when I was 17. I did my certificate for and became a guide and um, in lots of different areas, and kayaking was one of them. So, when we decided to do the trip in 2015 was when we decided we would uh, do it. I had, um, yeah, a fair bit of experience kayaking, um, but Matilda didn't have any. Yeah, well, I mean, a couple of days. Done a few day trips with my dad, particularly around Darwin, um, a few kilometres out, you know, to some of the islands and just along the coastline there. Um, but, 
I knew that I would enjoy it. I just didn't know if I could do it for that long. But we did have one practice run, which was um, a week-long trip along the west coast of Fraser Island. So that was a six-day trip, and that was our longest multi-day trip before we departed for three months. <laughs> but we did lots of training, yeah. and we went down to Sydney and trained with um, some really amazing kayakers down there and, you know, how to um, – look after ourselves and make sure that Mathilde had some of the similar rescue training to I so that yeah. <laughs> if I got in the drink she could help me um, but yeah I think you know that's what loud and seemingly confident looks like probably yeah. <laughs> absolutely where did the idea for this trip come from you know when did you go let's go kayaking for three months on the other side of the world got Lucy to thank for that one yeah <laughs> I went to I went to Canada when I was 19 and um, took a ferry from Vancouver to Vancouver Island, and I remember seeing all of the islands and I was like, wow, I want to kayak through these islands. And you know, later I looked at the map and I was like, wow, those islands go really far north. <laughs> and then I started looking at it and I was like, wow, people, you know, have kayaks that that you know that length of um you know the coastline before and I was like oh well if someone's done it before then it's possible so I could do it uh but it that was you know um what was that 2008 or 9 that I went there and so you know there were and it was not something I necessarily wanted to do my, by myself you know I wasn't looking for some deep ex exploration of who I was and what the meaning of life was I just wanted to go on a fun trip um so I wanted to do it with someone but you know there's not many people who you'd ask to do something like that with. And um, I don't know when I realised that Matilda was someone who might want to do it. But anyway. <laughs> I didn't take a lot of convincing, though. No, um, I asked if there were going to be whales and other animals, and Lisa said yes, and I asked if she thought that I could do it. And she said, well, if we train, then no reason why not. <laughs> we'll, find yeah, we'll, we'll find out. We'll find out. Either of us can do it. But I think we both had, you know, a similar mentality of, of wanting to do it for fun and um, not necessarily to prove it to anyone that we could do it, but just, you know, to go on an adventure together. And um, it was pretty soon after we decided that we we're going to do it that we um, talked about making about a bigger picture and that's having, yeah, having, having a purpose for the trip as well. So that's when we branched out into the single-use plastic-free and also marine debris-themed um, campaign as well. Because it was also a fundraiser. Mm. Um, so who were who you raising money for and, and how did you choose those charities? Well, <laughs> sorry, here you go. Okay, um, so one of the organisations was the Tangaroa Blue Foundation. So they're an Australia-wide not-for-profit organisation um, dedicated to the removal and prevention of marine debris. So they run cleanups all over Australia, but also collect data on what they find and enter it into the Australian Marine Debris Initiative database. So this is an organisation that we had touched base with and volunteered for a number of times in the lead up to our trip um, and that we had a lot of respect for because of the way that they collected data and information and then and worked to tackle it from the source, from where it's coming from. Um, so we had a strong affiliation with that organisation. Yeah, I mean, I think, like, volunteering for Tongue yeah. Wild Blue is what made us wake up to our own plastic yeah. impacts, you know, being mm -hmm. out on those beaches and picking up waste and you, and you sort of look at it and think, oh, well, this could be mine for all I know. This could have come 
you know, I don't throw things in the ocean, but, you know, our land, our waste systems are not perfect and it ends up in the ocean sometimes. And so, um, yeah, and then we chose the second organisation, the Living Ocean Society, because we were going to do our trip, um, you know, in an entirely different continent, we wanted to have an impact there as well where we were going. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we um, chose the Living Ocean Society because they're doing um, similar work on the coastline there with marine debris initiatives and ocean um, conservation. And, and it's kind of cool raising money for two organisations who are protecting the same ocean just on different sides of it. Yeah, absolutely. And how much did you end up raising in the end? Uh, just over $20,000. So they each got oh, just over $10,000, yeah, at the end of it. Not too bad. Yeah. <laughs> thanks to everybody who donated. Yeah, thanks to everyone yeah. who donated. From, yeah, it was quite a long campaign. It went for, um, you know, it, well, a year and, well, probably two years actually, right up to the end of our, uh, the end of our trip. Um, and, yeah, just people from all over the world donated to it and it uh, followed the journey. So it was just really, really cool to see that. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, now, to the trip itself, you mentioned, you know, needing to have rescue training and all that stuff. You're going a, a long way in I would, what I assume are fairly remote areas. Is Was it a fairly dangerous undertaking? I think, you know, um, it's really interesting thinking about adventure and risk and, I, I, and danger. And I think, um, you know, it's only dangerous if you haven't planned well. Mm-hmm. And so it's not that we did this hugely risky adventure, it's that we did an adventure, we looked at what the risks would be and then we took steps to mitigate those risks as much as possible and, you know, the reason why we had a really good trip where neither of us got injured or died or capsized our boats is because we planned a very safe trip and we made good decisions along the way. Um, and I think particularly because we didn't have anything to prove, you know, on those yeah. days where it was 20 or 30 knot winds, we would just go outside and look at the ocean and think, no thanks. <laughs> tent today. And I think, you know, sometimes when you read the blogs of people who have done similar trips and got into trouble, it's because they have um, been so determined to, you know, um, paddle the certain distance every day, uh, whereas we weren't trying to set a record. We were just trying to have a good time. And having a good time doesn't include putting yourself in dangerous situations. We still ended up in a couple of hairy spots. Um, yeah. But, you know, we had the gear and the resourcefulness to... And also, I think just also being able to ask people questions along the way. Like, we literally asked people from the very beginning of the campaign right through to the end, whether we were passing through fishing towns and asking, you know, local fishermen what the currents in that area were doing and what the tides were doing or... Or the harbour masters. Yeah, the harbour masters or, um, you know, people who had done the trip before, we we reached out to them and and got some tips from them. We we didn't know what pogies were. This is (laughs) one of the examples. So I don't know if you've heard of them, but they're like neoprene gloves that you can you put over your hands that allow you to grab onto your paddle but it, it holds the warmth in on your fingers ah, which coming from the tropics is just like I remember we were doesn't looking- even cross your mind and yeah. we, read, we read it in a blog and it was like pogies are necessary and Lucy and I were like what what <laughs> when we went to the gear store to get these pogies that everyone said were so essential we were just looking at them and we were like these look so cumbersome 
they look like they make the paddles really heavy and they look so unnecessary. Um, but we were just like, well, better to have them than not have them. And they are cumbersome and they do make the paddle heavier. But when you can't feel your fingers, they are really necessary. Yeah. First, I think for that, at least the first three weeks of our trip, we didn't take them off. It was so Yeah. And, you know, the, the people that convinced us to do that were two two women that were kayaking the same trip as us in the opposite direction from south <laughs> to north. And, and we saw them on Facebook and contacted them and had a good good old Zoom conversation and asked them what pogies were and whether they were necessary. And they were like, yes. <laughs> so just I think just ask, you know, asking things like that and not being afraid to admit when you made the wrong decision or when you don't know something is, is really important in these kinds of trips like yeah. if he wish you had extra tufts yeah yeah and and we have the same you know if people want to ask us things about the trip as well mm. we're really open and happy to to chat about that sort of thing as well for anyone to reach out and we wouldn't have succeeded as well as we did if we hadn't had some amazing advice from people like um sandy robson or freya hoffmeister and these amazing women who have done incredible kayaking trips and we sort of just asked them if they would give us some advice so many people and you know like sandy robson paddled from germany to australia well i was like we went to we went to one of her you know talks and we're like little fan girls and then we said what we were doing she's like oh you know let's have a beer and some pizza and i'll give you some advice and we were like little starry-eyed girls like okay great and she gave us such incredible advice you know people taking the time to share those experiences and that advice is just yeah so important for you know people like us succeeding yeah, absolutely. Now I have um, some logistical questions, which you're probably asked a lot, but um, I'm definitely curious, and I'm sure people listening are. Um, what did you eat? <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. That was the biggest challenge: the how to pack pack the food and what the food was going to be mm-hmm. if we wanted plastic to do free. it single-use plastic-free. Um, actually, we had been di- de- dehydrating our meals for a number of different, you know, hikes and trips that we've done in the past. So we weren't new to dehydrating, but we were new to trying to dehydrate 300 meals, you know, breakfast. 500. 500? It was 500. Oh, oh my God. 500 um, breakfast, lunches, dinners and snacks and that kind of thing. So we kind of made up a plan about the different menu and the different meals that we could use and how much food that would need to take and et cetera, et cetera. And it was actually through a mutual friend of ours that saw – a vegan cafe called the Loopy Cafe in Vancouver. She saw a video about them on Facebook and they rescue food that would otherwise be thrown out, um, you know, from supermarkets and stores and they make community dinners with that food. And so, yeah, and they also do like, they have a zero waste cafe. And so we contacted them to see if we could use their kitchen to like cook up our meals Ah. and they us back and said well actually we really believe in what you're doing and we'd really like to help you with preparing your meals so they helped prepare 500 um vegan meals breakfasts lunch and dinner and we we dehydrated them all and packed them into um layers of newspaper and butcher's paper so it was a mixture a lot of the dinners were like chickpeas and lentils and curry vegetables um pastas breakfasts were often muesli or porridge that could be dehydrated into flat you know Mm -hmm. 
biscuits sort of thing. Um, <laughs> we yeah. didn't eat them as biscuits. We yeah. rehydrated. We rehydrated <laughs> the um, but yeah, it, we probably had about seven different Meals. dinners yeah. and rotated between that. <laughs> and yeah, and it was amazing because we, um, you know, the we had six resupply points along the way. So we carried about two to three weeks of food in our kayaks at a time. Mm-hmm. Um, and we just put a call out on Facebook and said, look, these are the places where we'd like our food to send our food, who following us on Facebook is from there. And we got five out of six places, these random tiny towns on the Alaskan and Canadian coastline. We'd been drumming up a following on Facebook for some time, and it was just, like, incredible. And then the last place um, we did, where we didn't get one in, in Wrangell, we, I went on Google Maps and <laughs> found a church and emailed them and said, hey, could we send you our resupply? And they were so excited to receive that email and they, um, you know, I think they were probably genuinely the most excited people to hold our resupply. (laughs) Um, And they gave us such a warm welcome, you know, when we got there. But the the resupply that sat for the longest was five months in storage before we got to it. So, you know, it was a pretty amazing, um, you know, we didn't, know how to do it before we set out and it worked so well it was really great yeah and for for those who haven't dehydrated meals before it basically just sucks out all of the moisture within that so you you end up with these little dry parcels of food that taste really good because you know what's in them might not necessarily have the same texture as what they originally had but when you paddled for an entire day it tastes pretty damn good (laughs) and the benefit of you know having those meals made or making them yourself is that you know exactly what's in them you know Mm. the sizes that they are um so yeah our main priority was basically keeping those packages dry so they didn't rehydrate before we <laughs> and that we did that. Very fair point. <laughs> and we did that by putting it so they were in like a layer of butcher's paper to make sure that the ink didn't get into our food from the newspaper, and then a couple of layers of newspaper, and then that was in a dry bag. Um, and then what we did is we went to a shoe store and asked for the little silica gel packs that you know you find in your shoe boxes because they absorb the moisture we were like hey weird question but do you have any of these and they were like come out the back <laughs> and it's like whole stash of them and so we put them in the bags just in case um and yeah it worked perfectly well which is great because there wasn't much of a backup plan <laughs> yeah no that's so much logistics I'm very impressed <laughs> how you you managed to work all that out and also because you're exercising all day surely you'd be wanting to eat more than you say normally would if you know you weren't doing that much exercise every day as well so that's a lot of food yeah Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) we had breakfast morning tea lunch afternoon tea and then dinner and some and dessert and our kilometers paddled and our day was scheduled around when we would eat yeah particularly the brownies we had these little chocolate brownies (laughs) which turned into sort of crunchy biscuits biscuits that would be semi soggy when we heated them up but this was so good good. that sometimes like in the morning I would literally have breakfast and for the next two hours just (laughs) thinking about the tiny brownie that we were going to (laughs) have and I think also the one thing that we did um, add to those meals is in every town we stopped in which was every 10 to 14 days 
mm-hmm. we would buy a packet of pasta and a jar of pesto sauce as our treat meal. And those that would be on the big day. That was like, all right, we have to go, you know, yeah. this many kilometers, or it's raining all day, or we're yeah. sore and tired. Pesto pasta. And yeah, <laughs> on the days where you know we knew it was gonna like, I think there was one day where we paddled 47 kilometers and. That day we had a lot of pesto pasta. (laughs) Delicious. Who doesn't love pesto pasta? Um, What type of communication did you have both with each other but also like for safety reasons and things like that? Yeah, so we were actually really lucky because um, we had a school. This this was just wild to us. We had been talking to this um, parent who was so excited about our trip she had in Vancouver. She had organised for us to do a talk at her school when we flew into Vancouver. So we came and did a talk at, at this school about our trip. And unbeknownst to us, the um, school had decided to fundraise for us. They said, "We don't want you this money to go towards your fundraising. We want you to buy something you really need for your trip." And then raised like seven hundred and fifty dollars, which paid oh, awesome. for us to have a Garmin. InReach Explorer, um, which is a very fancy piece of gear, uh, which can you know uh, is can be used as an emergency locator beacon. It can, you, but more than that, you can send text messages from it. You can get weather reports from it. Um, so we had organised for some of our friends uh, to be a support team for us while we were on the trip, and that was mostly for coordinating um, our, you know, um, communicating with the people who were holding our food and when we would be arriving. Um, but also, you know, they were there to talk to if we got in trouble, if we needed a extra weather report or a bit of help. Um, having that Garmin was really important. There are a couple of times where the um, information we were getting uh, on the ground and our visual inputs from what we could see on the ocean did not reflect the weather reports. So having the bigger picture of the large systems, uh, weather systems that were going over the inside passage were really important. We also had each had a marine radio and the marine radios were what we got our weather reports on every day. So every morning we had a routine before we would wake up, <laughs> we would turn the marine radio on and get the weather report for that day because I almost forgot about this. Yeah, part. sometimes <laughs> sometimes it wasn't worth getting out of bed, so you'd get up in the morning. Sometimes put the radio on, it would be like there is a small craft advisory warning for the coast, and you're like, all right, well, a small craft advisory warning basically means that any small vessels boats shouldn't be out and you know if you're in a kayak then you could definitely stay on land yeah yeah, and we also used it to call into the harbour masters when we're coming into port and let them know that we were there because there's a lot of massive cruise ships and things Mm -hmm. that pass through the inside passage as well um and also monitoring channel 16 for when we're crossing channels um for the same reason to be able to call out to those boats and let them know that we existed because it's really yeah. hard to see kayaks from up there. And channel we, did 16, almost, we did almost get hit once. Yeah, Channel sure. 16 is for those majority of humans yeah. in the world who don't know what Channel 16 is it, um, in that area. It's the emergency. Well, yeah, yeah, it's the emergency radio channel that all ships should be monitoring. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, well, a lot of people don't know that the Inside Passage has massive cruise ships that go up through it and you see them on the horizon and 10 minutes later they're chasing you down. So um, yeah. you've, got, you've got to have your wits about you. So, yeah, um, we both had a personal locator beacon in our um, 
personal flotation devices that we wore all the time. So even if we were separated, we both had an ability to send yeah. her help. And we were in two different kayaks. That's often a question as well, were you sharing a double or two separate kayaks? But it was just good to have that extra space and also mm. safety-wise, if one of you capsizes, the other can come and help with a, um, a rescue to tip you over. And, and also yeah. just, I think, mental... Or space. if you capsize your partner and paddle away, you can do that, you know. <laughs> that didn't happen, don't worry. <laughs> you, you mentioned just before you, you had a near miss with one of the bigger boats. Yeah, we were crossing a, a relatively narrow channel. It wasn't it wasn't what we would consider a large crossing, but you still have to be quite cautious. But it was still a kilometre wide. Yeah. Plenty of room for the boat to, to go, go around <laughs> us. And we saw um, what looked like a trawler from, it was, you know, further south down the passage coming towards us. It was still about a kilometre away. Even Maybe more than, yeah. I would say more. More. Yeah. So it's sort of this blob in the distance, but they're going a lot faster than you. So you're trying to figure out your trajectory and their trajectory and whether you're in a collision path. So we're doing that. We're, we've already started crossing the channel, so there's no point turning around. What boats usually do if yeah. they see kayaks yeah. is they make a very obvious turn away from where you are yeah. so you know that they've seen you and you can continue on your path yeah. so most of the boats we were around were very good at indicating their intentions which mm -hmm. is what you get taught when you do boating courses yeah. and it just it just kept getting closer and closer and it didn't show any um sign of steering in any other direction and these <laughs> boats are massive and we're so small and there's a bit of waves in the water so we know that we're mm -hmm. not visible as we are in calm weather and so we actually we tried a few things we tried radioing them on channel 16 and notifying them of our position we got no response that way they just kept steaming towards us by this time they're like a few you know 500 meters away and we tried to pop up our um sails because they were like bright yellow and red to just be like yeah <laughs> and um um yeah, they just didn't show any signs of leaving. So we just decided, all right, let's just power forward and hope that they pass behind us. And they probably passed about 20, 20 yeah. metres behind us, Ooh. which is not far. And no. no one was in the wheelhouse. No one was steering. Like, it was on autopilot. They were all just out the back having a fag. They were having a cigarette. And then they just waved to us, like this real friendly Canadian wave, like, <laughs> How's it going? And we were just like, there's a lot of hand gestures we could give you right now. And waving <laughs> is not it. But we refrained and we just stared at them yeah. with the best stink eye we had. It was, it was wow. really scary. It was the, that that was the scariest terrifying. moment of the trip for me. And, like, I was shaking um, and <laughs> I, I was just thinking about that for, like, two days straight. And then that night that. we camped in this, like, mosquito-ridden swamp, swamp yeah. and... <laughs> The mosquitoes never bit me, but they would annihilate Matilda. So had a really bad day. Yeah, that was probably day. the worst day of the trip, which is still pretty good in the grand scheme of things. <laughs> Didn't get hit by the boat. Tick. Exactly. Didn't get hit. Silver lining. Um, you led me very well to, to one of my next questions, which is where did you sleep? Um, on the shore every day, we are, mm -hmm. we had two options. We had like a lot of different terrain we were going to be camping in. You know, some of it was going to be, um, you know, we're starting in glacial fields where there aren't a lot of trees or coverage, and then yeah. we're going into heavily forested areas, um, you know, in BC and that stuff. So we needed a, a, and we knew that like it wasn't like we were going to campsites, you know. Yeah. Um, we called 
we had some indications from other people who had done the trip of where they camped, but a lot of the kayakers who had done the trip before were paddling a lot further in a day than we would. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we didn't we we had gaps to fill, and we called them Lucy's specials because <laughs> I had just gone on Google Maps and trawled through our charts finding things where the terrain looked like it could be a good camp. And so we had a tent, which we would share, and we both had hammocks, one each. So depending on the... hammocks, yeah. Yeah, depending on the train, the terrain, (laughs) uh, we would either sleep in our tent, um, which for the first um, month we basically did every night because there were no trees, but also because it was so cold. There was no way we were going to be able to be in our hammocks. And then, you know, to towards the further end of the trip we were more commonly sleeping in our in our um, hammocks so you know there was definitely one or two campsites I remember one night we like paddled into the Lucy special we looked at it and we were like oh wow no we can't (laughs) so we paddled around a couple of we paddled around for probably another hour and a half trying to find a better camp and then ended up paddling back to the one we rejected originally (laughs) because everything else was much worse and it turned out and then my favourite one was um, it was in the first week we were paddling. It would have been a really long day and Matilda was quite hungry <laughs> and we were paddling into camp and she was just going in hell for high water, paddling into the beach. She was like, yes, I see the beach. Matilda, <laughs> like, there's a huge bear on the shore. And there was this massive grizzly oh, <laughs> bear just like having having a little, you know, wander on the shore. So we, thought it was we, a rock. So we paddled to the next <laughs> island. And the next island had a bear poo on it, but no bear. So we're like, okay, we'll camp here. But then as we set up camp, the tide went out and a land bridge formed between the island no. and the island that we were on. I mean, bears can swim. He could have swum there. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, yeah, it's just those moments where you're like, what is their safe camping when they can <laughs> literally be anywhere? <laughs> yeah. yeah. But uh, we, we also quickly learnt that, what looked like a lovely grassy oh, yeah. field from the distance to pitch a tent on um, is a, a, a muskeg swamp. Swamp. Um, just yeah. terrible, terrible swamp. Like if Which it looks funny. like a terrible campsite, probably going to be acceptable. If it looks beautiful, it's, it's pretty a much a mirage. It's a lie. <laughs> just paddle past it because you will be disappointed. But we, yeah, we camped in some of the most remarkable locations where, you know, you just wake up in the morning and you're like, mm. oh, my goodness, like, how are we even here? And, um, yeah, we, we actually, at the start of the trip, I was like, oh, it will be so nice to be able to, like, see the sunset over the horizon. Wow. But it's summer and, well, first of all, you're in the inside passage and I didn't quite didn't quite comprehend in my brain how high these mountains were like these islands are snow-capped mountains so that was my first realization of like oh yeah that's that's not what I expected so the sun sets behind them and secondly it's summer so the sun goes down like hits the horizon at 10 45 11 p.m so I think there was one night where I stayed up and Lucy I didn't went, make it. Lucy went to bed like five minutes before. I tried really hard, but oh I was no. just falling asleep, you know. And yeah, so we did um, see a lot of sunrises though. Yeah. Getting up in the morning and paddling. For just sunrise. incredible. One night we were sleeping in, well, heading to sleep in our tent, and we could hear humpback whales singing mm. just off the like cliff that we were um, camping on, you know, through the water and. It's just like magical. Yeah, it's so magical. And hummingbirds, there's hummingbirds in Alaska as well, so they yeah. come and check us out in the mornings. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
Um, I mean, one of my questions was what type of wildlife did you see? So <laughs> whales and bears are pretty high up there. We yeah. had um, lots of others. One of my favourites were the fur seals, these little seals that were everywhere. And they were so, I mean, they're really cute. And we saw their babies there and they're super cute too. But also total creeps because <laughs> any time you go to pee, you know, you're like having a pee and then inevitably you'd be looking at the ocean because you're just doing a bush wee and, you know, the ocean's not far away. And then there'd be some little eyes that just like pop up. <laughs> There you. And then another set of eyes would pop up. By the time you finish your pee, you've got like six seals just watching you from the ocean. And you're like, well, guys, like some privacy would be nice, you know. Um, or like sometimes you'd be paddling along and they'll just like pop up 10 metres away. But if you look at them directly, they pop back down again because they want to look at you, but you're not allowed to know that they're there. <laughs> so funny. Also, um, sea otters. So, oh, so they're like sort of. Um, hang out around you and they each have their own personal stone that they use to crack open um, the food that they eat whether that was crabs or shellfish and so sometimes you're sleeping at night and you just hear like tick, 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 as they're trying to open up their food and they actually hold hands when they're sleeping it's, it's, it's the most adorable thing oh, and um the, the, the sea, stella sea lions oh my god they were so creepy you'd be paddling along <laughs> i actually remember the first no, it was like the third day we were out. We got up in the morning. It was super misty. We couldn't see much, but we could hear something sounding like it was dying. Anyway, we figured out later sea lions are just super dramatic. And they just <laughs> get around like. <sighs> and so like, you'd be paddling along in complete silence, you know, really beautiful, calm day. And then just suddenly when because they surface and make this noise straight away so it'd be like someone creeping up behind you and just going <laughs> and you're just like <laughs> so many times I lost it because I was just like in this complete state of calm <laughs> paddling along having a great time and then some psycho Darth Vader stellar sea <laughs> pops up behind you and starts heavy breathing and they would get in lines and play bull rush with our boats so. yeah that was pretty scary but cool at the same time. Yeah, they never hit our boat, so just, just playing with us. Just yeah. constant, just constant wildlife. I mean, the first few days we we just saw like twenty to thirty different species of seabirds. Sometimes mm. we'd rock up to the shore, and there would be um, wolf prints, cougar prints, moose prints, <laughs> bear prints, yeah. and you're like, where are all the animals? Um, and it, yeah, we saw just, mountain goats. We saw yeah, we saw mountain goats. Oh, we also learned that um, bald eagles. Which are, you know, America's power symbol, are terrible fishers. Yeah. They're mm-hmm. really bad at fishing. They just drop the fish on like every time. <laughs> it's amazing. That we saw so thousands bad. of them, though. Oh, yes. One yeah. beaver that blanked us. We oh. were, like, paddling past it, and we wanted to get, like, a view of its face because we've never and seen just, a beaver face. Yeah. And just as we, as we turned around it, it just kept rotating. <laughs> showing its beaver butt to us. Like, I don't see you, you don't see me. I don't see you, you don't see me. We're like, oh, hey there. We saw heaps of oh, minks. Oh, yeah, minks. They were yeah. cute. Yeah, just and like, a whale. And the intertidal zone is oh, full yeah. of, like, sea urchins and starfish. And sea cucumbers. Sea cucumbers, all kinds. Yeah. But we also, they're full of rocks, the intertidal zone. <laughs> we also saw two transient um, orcas, mm-hmm. uh, killer whales, and oh. um, just at least one whale every single day. For the first two months. There yeah. was less 
the last month we were paddling down the coast of Vancouver Island where there's huge shipping traffic and there was just a lot less whales there because there's a lot more boats mm-hmm. yeah yeah, yeah. Oh, you, I know that I don't want to go kayaking for three months but you're <laughs> making me want to go kayaking for three months. <laughs> it's pretty amazing yeah I miss all the animals yeah. Yeah. we've got some pretty cool animals here as well yeah this, this is very true <laughs> um <laughs> you know three months is, is a very long time um did it have any, like, spending that much time together, was it a strain on your friendship a little bit? You're still friends now by the looks of it. <laughs> oh, this is a very good charade. Um. <laughs> yeah, no, it was um, – There was only, I think, we both had one day where we felt pissed off with each other. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But other than that, it was pretty good. I mean, like, the thing is, you know, um, we were both, um, you know, I think – we're both just very understanding and we, we know each other pretty well. So we know, like, we live together, we work together and volunteered together and spent, we'd been on a, a couple of big hiking trips together and, um, you know, like, I know when Matilde's having a tough time and paddling against the wind, she's just not going to talk to me, you know. <laughs> she's just not going to talk at all. Um, and Matilde knows when I'm hungry that I'm just entirely unreasonable and she doesn't <laughs> take anything I say when I'm hungry seriously and probably but, just yeah. feed me before any decision making. There was definitely one day where um, I was having a really hard time. It was the day after we almost got killed by the trawler and yeah. I got by mosquitoes and Lucy's like trying to teach oh, me and, Spanish and it was it, it was the worst conditions where the tide and the wind are against each other and it creates this terrible choppy sea that's just annoying and yeah. hard to paddle in so yeah and we'd run out of chocolate so Matilda oh, no. sleep deprived yeah. without chocolate <laughs> mauled by mosquitoes and almost killed the day before and Lucy's like Heaven. so happy and cheery and like singing and in my head, I was just like, shut up. I was just like, you are unreasonably happy. And in my head, I was like, Matilde looks sad. I'll make her cheer up by singing. la 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 And, like, asking her lots of questions, you know, because, I mean. And I was like, leave me alone, but don't really. <laughs> and the worst thing for Matilde is I'm a faster paddler than her, so she can't yeah. paddle away from me. No. <laughs> but that, that honestly, like. But then yeah, I had a day. Fight. Yeah, I had a day where I had been sick the day before, and then the next day we had a, a ten kilometer um, crossing across a channel. And the, the the thing about crossing a channel is that um, you immediately don't have something to gauge your speed on. So like when you're paddling along the shore, you look at the shore and you're like, I can see that, I can judge how fast I'm going. But when you paddle across open water, you don't have that. Yeah. Um, so. And I get anxious paddling against across open water because of the weather can turn bad, you could get hit by a boat, all kinds of things. It's the time where things can go wrong. Matilda inevitably paddles slower when um, we're crossing a channel because she can't judge her speed. And I was so hungry for lunch because I had been sick the night before and hadn't eaten yeah. dinner and hadn't eaten breakfast. So I pretty much yeah. drunk tea and had some, I think, a brownie or some peanuts for, you know, the last 12 hours, and I was so hungry and so annoyed, and I just remember being like, how how can she paddle this slow? Like, why can't she paddle faster? But I would just, like, internalise it and then paddle and then wait and then paddle and wait. And Matilda probably had no idea I was grumpy as shit until no. I got to the other side. <laughs> and then she looked at me and was like, 
so we'll have some lunch then. I was like, yeah, finally, we will have some lunch. <laughs> but that's not what I said. But then, you know, like there were other days, like I remember one day we had, we were doing a, it was a 30K channel crossing mm. and there was an island in the middle. And the first bit of the crossing was super windy and really cold. And I had, must have got into like maybe some stage one hypothermia because we got to the island and I was like, I'm really cold. I need to go and shelter like from the wind behind a rock, you know, like when the wind isn't in an area because it's blocked by something. Yeah. But then I went and stood on the upwind side of the rock and like crouched down on the upwind side. And I'm looking at Lucy going like, this seems extremely out of character <laughs> for like someone who's a lot safer than I am generally. And I was like, Lucy, you need to be on the other side of that rock. And, like, half sort of dragged her along. She just, I was like, no, I want to stay here. And she was like, no, Lucy, you need to come with me. And she, like, got me and moved me to the other side of the rock and, like, fed me something. And I was like, oh, yeah, this, this is, is the better side of the rock. <laughs> it, just, it just gives you, like, so much respect for people like Susan Conrad who who kite inside passage by herself you know and she's about she wanted to do it the second time this year but because of COVID stopped her her plans but just amazing to not have that second person to judge things by and to pull you out from the wrong side of the or just carry your kayak from the ocean to camp like because you know if you arrive at low tide you know you have to carry I mean, it was so hard getting our kayaks up to camp sometimes. I just literally cannot. There were days when I just thought, Susan Conrad, just think this is not, she had it harder. (laughs) What was the the longest day that you did of kayaking? What was your average? The start of that day. Because the start of the day, Matilda, we took turns navigating in the start of the day and Matilda was navigating and and it was quite a straight coastline. You could see like all the way down it I said oh how far are we going today Matilda and she said you see that point the furthest point in the distance that you can see and I was like yeah she's like that's halfway (laughs) and I was like oh good and that day was only supposed to be 42 kilometers but they have this really fun thing in um Alaska called um what's it called again isostatic rebound isostatic rebound and it's where because the glaciers are receding the weight of the ice coming off the land means that the land is rising we were using charts that were five years old and that's not so old for charts um and they said we could we wanted to go to this that night we'll go to a cabin we were really excited and we were supposed to be able to get to you know 41.5 kilometers and then paddle through this channel and be at our lovely little cabin and then we get there and the bloody land has risen out of the ocean because of isostatic rebound and we can't get through the channel and we had to paddle like an extra two and a half kilometers which is not that far but after paddling yeah. 42 kilometers then we had to do another two and a half kilometers down and then another two and a half kilometers back again to go around this point oh, it was so salty oh no. man that, that was so cabin. salty that cabin oh, felt cabin. like the hilton it did yeah but better yeah. yeah um and it was just a block of wood really but it was great and yeah so it ended up being 50 50 kilometers which is about 27 mm. nautical miles and to a lot of people that might not be heaps but we were most of the time doing about half of that so to us but it wasn't necessarily 
the overall distance it was thinking that it was less and then having to sort of keep that morning was cool though we watched a family of deer um, cross cross from like the land across a land bridge to the island that we'd been camping has you know pros and cons yeah that night we had camped at a campsite where there was um I think we can we counted like seven bear scats in proximity to our tent and <laughs> Matilde that afternoon the, the the day before had been like I'm just going to go for a lovely little walk around the island and I was staying at camp I was like she's gonna get eaten by a bear she's, gonna get, <laughs> she's definitely gonna get eaten a bear or I'm gonna get eaten by a bear and she's gonna come back and I won't be here. <laughs> it's a lot of beer anxiety beer <laughs> bear anxiety at the start of the trip. And beering, no. <laughs> <laughs> no. And I, I also wanted to ask with, um, you know, so much kayaking for such a long period of time, do you have, like, unproportionate amount of upper body strength to lower body strength? People think it's, yeah, it's really interesting. You actually, if you're kayaking po- properly, you should be using your core and you actually do use your legs a lot for yeah, bracing brace. and for twisting and so... I mean, but we we did the thing that annoyed me. This is the really annoying thing about this is Matilde gets buff. She builds these amazing muscles. I just don't get toned. I don't get any musclier. My, <laughs> oh, I well, no, but my, I I was stronger, but my muscles yeah. didn't get bigger. So Matilde's like boom boom. I am you know, <laughs> and I'm like I am super toned, but not at all musclier <laughs> in any other way. But yeah, like back muscles and neck muscles like like my partner met us sort of towards the end of the trip and he was like oh shit (laughs) and Matilda was like let's have a wrestling match time to arm wrestle yeah (laughs) no but it um it also disappeared just as quickly Um, I also mentioned at the start that you guys brought out a documentary, um, Changing Tides, this year of your journey. Was that always part of the plan? Not really. I mean, we took a GoPro with us um, and then we hoped for the best. Um, I guess we took a GoPro with us and we kind of knew that we wanted to record what we were doing. And I think in the back of our heads we thought, you know, that would be really cool. But also neither of us are filmmakers. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah, and I, I would say that um, I have to give Matilde credit where it's due. <laughs> um, neither, are, neither of us are photo takers or film takers. Mm. So it took concerted effort to, to take those out. videos and yeah. get the camera mm-hmm. out. Um, and there were definitely a few times when Matilde was like, let's video it, and I was like, I don't want to get it out of my get face. Get it out of my face. <laughs> and she would be like, this is the best time. She's like, we've got to film when we're really happy or really angry or, you know, having a hard time. And, yeah, you get to see yeah. some of those moments in the film. So we just had we just had a lot of footage by the end of it. Yeah. And um, looked at it and felt quite overwhelmed. Yeah, we were like, oh, how are we ever going to possibly put this together um, and it ended up being through, you know, a, a contact of a friend that we, we found, um, Akemi and uh, Anna, two women that wanted to help, well, wanted to create this documentary with us. And it was so and, cool yeah. to have, you know, um, two young women who wanted to make a film about our trip because they just, there was so much about our trip that we didn't have to explain to them 
because they get it. Like they know what it's like to be a woman and to do something like this and be told mm-hmm. by all these people that you can't do it or you don't know what you're doing or, you know. Um, but even the, the plastic-free journey and the yeah. marine debris, like they weren't kayakers but they understood the underlying message behind the story and it was just really refreshing to not have to communicate that for people to just understand it. Mm. So, um, yeah, they cre- they created version one of, of Changing Tides and then recently the one that um, some people might have seen in the Ocean Film Festival in 2021, um, that was a, a, a obviously the same story but a, a different take specific to the Ocean Film Festival. And they um, helped and us. And I love both of them. They're yeah. so great. Yeah. They yeah. put some extra footage in. The Ocean um, Film Festival did. Yeah. yeah. And they also helped us, um, you know, the thing about filming everything on one GoPro is that the audio wasn't great. It's terrible. <laughs> they helped us fix that up. And, yeah, I think, like, throughout the entire process, um, we succeeded because of the community came around us. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. We're yeah. pretty proud of that film. Yeah. <laughs> it's a pretty awesome uh, keepsake for the trip yeah. as well. And have you had um, lots of reactions from people that have seen it? When the film toured around Australia with the Ocean Film Festival, we got so many messages from friends all around different places and, you know, random people reaching out, you know, you reaching out, lots of different people really excited about it. And even um, before the Ocean Film Festival when we um, had screenings of the original film we made and it is also toured with the Adventure Film Festival in New Zealand and it's a, a toured with the Travel Film Festival in the United Kingdom. So it's been in three film festivals now. Wow. Um, people have from all around the world have reached out and been like, oh, I'm going on this hiking trip, like can you give me some tips or I'm doing this, can you give me – and so we've got a guide on our website now. The single-use plastic-free adventure guide. <laughs> and anyone can download it for free. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's got all our recipes and advice and where yeah. to start. And I think the reason why, like, a lot of similar feedback that we're getting back from the film is that they really enjoyed it because it really was just, like, two friends that decided <laughs> to do a thing and went out there and it was, a you know, a homemade sort of style film where – yeah, the cinematography certainly wasn't incredible. <laughs> but people were able to relate to the story and, and yeah. how simple it was and imagine that they were out there with us. And um, so that's really cool. But it, de- it has given me an extreme appreciation for videographers of all types, oh, yeah. but specifically people who film um, those out in the outdoors and are able to portray what those the emotions that those people are feeling and the experiences oh, yeah. that they're having just so much respect for uh filmmakers and videographers mm. for that kind of reason but yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> i i mentioned earlier um you know that the reason i found out about you guys was because of a family friend who who saw the film and i messaged her the other day asking if she had any questions or things for you and she said she didn't have any questions because there's so much information on your website um, <laughs> but she did say we were very inspired by their dedication to plastic free and have since taken on the responsibility for collecting plastic rubbish slash debris from every beach river lakeside that we walk which is about three times a week and we recycle it correctly now so if anything we ask you to encourage them to keep promoting environment first on everything get as much publicity as they can muster for it well you know what you should tell them is thanks very much and also their tongaroa blue has an app um, with the Australian Marine Debris Initiative, and they can literally put in the app what they pick up, and that goes into the oh, data awesome. that helps us advocate 
um, for plastic change. So um, some examples of how that can make a really interesting, one of the most crazy examples was we got all this data from like a remote beach up in Cape York that said this one particular brand of water bottle kept washing up. That was a brand that we'd never seen before. And then it turned out there were some um, illegal fishing boats on our border chucking all of this, um, these water bottles overseas. And so we managed to not only get rid of those bottles, but also the legal fishing boats in, in you know, protected marine areas. And, mm. you know, but then also local, we have these local marine um, debris initiatives where you can get data on what's the most common debris in Port Douglas. And it's like one, two, and three, because people like your friends um, put their data in that app. and it, um, Yeah, and the, the AMDI has over 1,800 different people and organisations that contribute to it. So we get information from all over the country. Um, and, yeah, they look up Tangaroa Blue or AMDI. It's free. It can be on both, you know, iPhones or Android. Um, and it's just a really important way to be able to track that yeah. track the debris back to the source and, and stop it from the source and the analogy I like to use is you know if you had a running tap in your bathroom you wouldn't sit there bailing it out the window you would turn it off at the tap and that's what we're aiming to do with that data and if people are already on the beach cleaning it up then it's just one extra step yeah and that's really cool I love the idea of that app yeah it's really cool and thanks to your friends and we yeah. actually have you know, I had a, a couple of friends message me and be like, I'm doing this now or I'm doing that now. That's different. And, um, yeah, it's. I think we we can both agree that this trip had a lot more impact than we ever imagined it would. Yeah. And we've learned so much along the way oh as well gosh, yeah. and from people after the trip too. So it's been awesome. Yeah. Um, so talking about being plastic-free and single-use plastic and that type of thing, when – did you guys sort of become more aware about that stuff and start to reduce your plastic intake? Intake when use? Just, yeah. When we were doing cleanups with Tangaroa Blue as volunteers, we started being aware. But I think we really made a move in 2015. Matilde and I and a friend of ours, um, Kelsey, moved into a house together. And we decided at that point, moving in together, we were going to be a plastic-free household, single-use plastic-free. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so since 2015, and we're still doing it today. Yeah, and it was a lot of reading blogs. I think one that stuck with me was one called Trashes for Tosses, and it's this um, <laughs> at the time she was in her uh, mid-20s living in New York, and she produced a jar of single-use plastic waste in an entire year, and that was as a student living in, you know, a massive city. Yeah. I remember seeing that and hearing about that and just being so inspired about what she could achieve, and there's also Bea Johnson and her Zero Waste Home book. That was another mm -hmm. inspiration. And it's but, funny because yeah. everyone does it differently. Like yeah. I remember when we moved in together, Matilde's someone who, you know, she loves doing research and finding out all of the things and I'm a much more simplistic person. So, you know, I was like, well, now I will eat five things. <laughs> and then, um, you know, like, and Matilde was like, well, Lucy, you know, there's options and you can go here or there. And I was like, okay. And so, you know, I think it's really nice to have conversations about it because not everyone is the kind of person like the amazing Matilde who can um, make a spreadsheet of every waste store and cans and figure out which ones have the cheapest price for which different bits of bulk food and whatever. And, and you know, um, 
I think, you know, for me, certainly when I started, I was like, I will eat vegetables and pasta because there's one type of pasta I can get from Woolies that comes in a box without plastic (laughs) and couscous comes in a box and so does oats. Um, But, you know, I have a much more um, varied version of that now and it's thanks to the help of those people around you. But we're so accustomed to that life now and but I think you know a, ma- a massive message we want to say to people is is you you don't have to go all the way and cut out all single-use plastics from your life and in fact that that might make you regret the decision and turn in the opposite direction but yeah. um you know doing what you can and learning what some of the alternatives are and I you know I think a lot of the younger generation these days are forcing it upon their parents which is awesome and so. just, you know we always say like don't go cold turkey on single-use plastic because you'll last a couple of weeks and then give up yeah I mean, do make one change do it for a month and it's a habit then do another change do it for a month and it's a habit find out what is what is one thing that you would recommend that people can do really easily to reduce their single-use plastic um get a keep cup get a water Mm -hmm. get a reusable bag if you haven't done that yet you're about 10 years behind the time (laughs) so that's one thing the second thing would be look up your local bulk food stores you'll be surprised how many there are around these days um there's local community co-ops there's merchandised bulk food stores like the source um there's lots of different if, ways. if there's markets around go and get your fruit and vegetables from the markets or go direct to the farmer you know there's a lot of uh, community supported agriculture boxes mm-hmm. csa boxes where you can order a box for the family and it comes in with a variety of different fruit and veggies seasonal um, locally yes. sourced fruit and vegetables which yeah has a lot of other good impacts but even our- like Okay, instead of, if you can, instead of buying a 200-gram packet of rice, for example, you buy a five-kilo bag. It might come in a plastic bag, but you're using so much less plastic because it's not that individually wrapped thing. And just boycott stupid things like bananas wrapped in glide wrap and cucumbers that come in a styrofoam box. peeled and then wrapped in plastic. It's just like, what is happening? There's so many, yeah, that you're like, what, what? This is costing you more money to wrap yeah. it in this much plastic. It, Why are yeah. you doing it? But it is also important to understand that um, many things that come with living a zero-waste lifestyle are also because of the privilege of being able to do so, and that might, be, that might be a cost or it might be access or it might be time, you know, not mm-hmm. everyone make their own toothpaste for example that kind of thing um so that's why it's really important to just be like you know don't kick yourself for not being able to do all the things and just give it a go and don't be afraid to make mistakes and ask questions and learn along the way because the reality is plastic is an incredible material that has been able to advance society so much but it's our reliance on it um Mm. it's created this problem and also yeah and i think that um it's also good to remember that bioplastics, well, there's lots of, there's good and bad in bioplastics, but avoiding petrochemical plastics is really important. And if you haven't watched it, a really good film to watch is called The Story of Plastic. Um, and, you know, I think most people in the world now are concerned about climate change in some way. And, you know, the fossil fuel industry has mostly been related to, you know, transport and um, energy production. Well, no, the fossil fuel industry, Mm. not emissions. But the fossil fuel industry has mostly been, um, you know, energy production and transport. But but that's reducing now. But what is exponentially rising is the use of oil and gas to produce petrochemical 
plastics and there's some seriously dangerous lobby groups behind it across the world. Um, and if, if you don't know the story of the impact of petrochemical plastics, then watching the story of plastics is really important. Um, it has major impacts for our environment um, and it is growing at an unbounded rate at the moment. So if you are using plastic, wherever you can, finding compostable plastic alternatives mm -hmm. made from, um, you know, bio um, things instead of instead of instead of um, petrochemicals is much better. And um, you know, ultimately, we need large-scale composting systems for us to make that work. But yeah, that's a really good start because. Um, yeah, we yeah, there's a lot of oil that goes into producing plastic. Yeah, yeah. So I um, issue. Yeah. When, when when I adopted my cat in October last year, one of the things that came to mind was, well, you know, you change the litter tray every day. I don't want to be throwing out a plastic bag every day because that's so much and it adds up. And my sister um, also has a pet, so I went to her. I was like, do you, like, what do I do for this? And she recommended a brand of bag that is. Um, uh, uses recycled material and is also compostable and I also try and you know keep it if it doesn't smell too bad I'll fill up a few days at a time so I'm not yeah, using yeah, a bag every day compostable kitty litter as well as the bag that it comes True. in yeah yeah and there's, it's it's so funny like there's um what the thing we put in our guide is like how to do a plastic audit of your home because we all live really in different lives I don't have a cat um, so I don't need to worry about that. But that's something you would have to consider that I don't. So, yeah, there's a guide on how you can do a plastic order in your home, which can be really useful because the the most common plastic that is used in a household is different for every household. Absolutely, yeah. Um, I wanted to ask as well, um, one of the reasons for your trip, um, you know, that you sort of have on your website as one of the sort of big reasons you did it was to raise awareness both of uh, marine plastic pollution and to promote women in adventure. Do you guys feel like you've achieved that goal? I think so. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. We have. Um, we're really proud of what we did, and um, actually, one of I think one of the the nicest moments of the whole trip. We we um, organized. We helped put together a, a school camp for women in leadership and ocean um, literature, yeah, literacy, sorry, and that was a four-day camp and we paddled in for the last day and ran a workshop <laughs> for them in leadership. And um, this girl, I mean, it was so cute, they all asked for our signatures afterwards. But <laughs> this girl came up to me and said, you've really made me feel like, you know, like this. you're just normal, everyday people and this is something I could do. And, you know, that... That's yeah, that really hit yeah, really cool. yeah, and that's what we wanted to achieve. And you know, we don't want people to think that you have to be some big hero adventurer to do something like this. And that you know, if you have a goal and you work for it, you can you can do whatever you want. That's really cool. Uh, now we are almost towards the end here, but I always like to ask a random question of my guests. It's got nothing to do with anything we've talked about, um, and it's different for each episode. Um, so my random question for you is: What is the strangest dream you've had that you can remember? Oh, you know, that's so funny that Lucy that? just pointed to me, being like, "You can answer this one first because <laughs> I like." 
I don't really dream. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I, um, I like to sort of like set my dreams when I fall asleep and sort of go on this. I like to daydream, you know, but I, yeah. don't, I don't really wake up in the morning and go like, oh, man, that was weird. So um, I actually don't have an answer for that, but I'm sh- Lucy does. <laughs> <laughs> the most bizarre and most vivid dreams. Um it's it's like literally hard to even choose but I think one one that really stuck with me was I I I would say you know it probably only went for a couple of minutes but it felt like a movie length dream (laughs) basically I'll give you the short version hiking in the wilderness (laughs) massive spaceship crashes on Sydney me and my friends hiking run down to Sydney to help save everyone because we're all first aid people and then we realize that everyone is zombies and we're like shit and then I said I was not a kind person. I was like everyone for themselves and I just went <laughs> back into the mountains. Good to know. He did a cave and I was watching all these zombies chase people down and eat them and then big pack of zombies ran past me and this little um, runt zombie was like trailing behind and then it, it smelt me and I was like, oh, no, and it smelt me out and found me in this cave and then I was convincing it that, you know, it, it, I knew it was a nice person and it didn't want to eat me and we could come to an agreement and it was like that scene in, in Dory in Finding Nemo where the shark's talking to Dory and then yep. anyway and then I um just a shorthand moved yeah I moved <laughs> and I cut myself and started bleeding and then the zombie went ape and started trying to eat me and I ran away and locked myself in a car and I started trying to hotwire it to drive away <laughs> but I realized I didn't know how to hotwire a car. <laughs> And then I was like, maybe I'll just electrocute myself because di- death by electrocution sounds better than death by zombie. <laughs> and then, <laughs> wait, it, it's almost over. Okay. And then and then the big pack of zombies came back and so the little runt zombie was trying to run away with me in the car, pushing the car. And then a band of humans um, rode in on horses, saved me and then tried to make me the leader of their human party. And I was like, guys, I think we can all live in harmony uh, and then I helped establish a harmonic world where the zombies and the people lived in peace. Oh my god! And that and that was the end of my <laughs> like dream. Now I need to go write that movie. <laughs> so I just, I just welcome wake up. to the adventures of my spare time. <laughs> I just wake up with questions all the time, like, <laughs> and I won't have the answer to it, like what Lucy just explained. And I'll wake up and write it in my phone, and then I wake up in the morning, I'm like, what? Like the other night I was running a team of volunteers to do an island hop cleanup with Tungaroa Blue around the Mackay region and as I was falling asleep I started thinking about what like what would happen if one of the volunteers had a heart attack and I was like all right CPR and then we've got like a defibrillator on board and I was like oh this is a steel hull boat like do defibs work on steel hull boats like what do you have to do and then I woke up woke up out of it and sort of entered the question in my phone and woke up in the morning I was like oh, that is a good question is it a good question yeah you have to lay out like a you have to actually lay out like a, a towel or a mat or something really if it worked but like it's then you're a lot like less effective no 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 it's just less effective oh, okay. yeah so there you go yeah you wake up with questions <laughs> I had one years ago because I'm I'm an originally from Melbourne and I had this weird dream where for some reason I was in charge of guarding this room just filled with like the world's most treasured art um but it was on Swanson Street which is a really busy street in Melbourne 
and it had these giant doors that wouldn't close. So they were just open with this giant room of treasures. And for some reason I had to get changed into different (laughs) clothes. But every time I left, someone would steal something. So I couldn't get changed. And then I used to do girl guides and I saw my old girl guide leader, Helen, walking past. I was like, Helen, thank God, come in here and look after this art while I go get changed. And I go get changed and I come back and a painting of Marie Antoinette now has Helen's face on it. Was Helen still there or was Helen just in? No, Helen was gone. She just painted her face onto Marie Antoinette and gone. Or was was Helen just absorbed by the painting? I'm glad I don't have dreams. This is too much. I don't normally remember them, but that is one that stuck out. I woke up and I was like, what? (laughs) It's a very odd one. Anyway, I love the zombie one. That's fantastic. All right. And my final question for you guys is one that I ask everyone who comes on the show. The show is called Loud and Seemingly Confident because that's how I want to describe myself. Do you guys consider yourselves confident? Yeah. I consider myself fake it till you make it. Definitely fake it till you make it. I don't think enough people tell you when you're in school and growing up that the entire world is just pulling things out of their ass. Yeah. You know, like you, you get to – you get – specific and you get to learn about what you're passionate about and you you work in your field or you volunteer in that field and you know what you're talking about sure but the process of every day is is fake it till you make it and and come up with the best thing or or like just read stuff until you get it you know yeah and we are extroverts um which is we are loud we are (laughs) definitely loud (laughs) we're definitely loud and we're confident because we know that most people are making it up. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, thank you guys so much for coming on. This has been an absolute joy. I had more questions, but we've been going for like an hour, so <laughs> I thought it was probably best to wrap it up. Um, thank you, everybody else, for listening in. Um, please like, follow, share, all of those things to get this Uh, podcast seen by more people Uh, you can catch up on any of our previous episodes wherever you're listening to this one and you can follow me on instagram at chelsea j heaney or you can follow the podcast at loud and seemingly confident both on instagram and facebook lucy and matilde where can people find out more about you well we're on we have a website which is passageadventures.org.au and we have facebook and we have instagram um and yeah, there's, I think, you know, you can message us uh, in all of those places um, and we're working on updating it more regularly in the future. Um, we both yeah. have pretty crazy lives, so <laughs> it comes in spurts and waves. Yeah. Um, actually working for Tongue Royal Blue now, so people can also come and join me on a beach cleanup if they're keen. But um, mm-hmm. I also wanted to mention that, that Changing Tides is available for people to download on our website as well. So the original version of the documentary can be downloaded and viewed on our website. Um, but otherwise, if you're if you're <laughs> around the rest of the world listening to this podcast, the Ocean Film Festival is also travelling to the UK and many countries in Europe as well as New Zealand. Uh, yeah, but um, also <laughs> if you head to our website right now, the film isn't there because um, <laughs> just to 
clarify oh, thanks, because uh, it is touring with the Ocean Film Festival. Right. Um, so once we once it's finished touring completely, we'll put the um, film up on our website again. But good remembering. Yeah. <laughs> if you why we work as a team. If you go there right now, it's definitely not there. Um, but if you email us and let us know that you're interested, um, we can um, put you on a list. And our email is on our website as well. Awesome. Well, thank you guys very much. This has been fantastic. Thanks Thanks so so much, much, Chelsea. Thanks for having us.